Peter's second epistle, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, friends. Last week, we talked about the season of Advent, and if you're new here, or if you're new to church at large, or you're new to uh, the, the Anglican way of looking at the season of Advent, Advent, it is the four Sundays before Christmas, but it actually has very little to do with the birth of Jesus. In fact, nothing. The uh, four Sundays of Advent before Christmas are not about Jesus' first coming away in a manger and sheep and all that sort of thing, but the season of Advent is about Christ's second coming, the end of the world, right? And the question we looked at last week is a simple one, and where you start, is the end of the world something that we fear, the zombie apocalypse or whatever, whatever happens, I don't know, uh, is the end of the world something to fear or something to long for? And of course, the, question, the answer to that question is, well, that depends. <laughs> it depends on a big question, the most important question you will ever ask yourself, ever. And that is this, is Jesus Christ my Savior or not? And a lot of people will, will, will give Christians a hard time. Ah, oh, you guys are so ex- exclusionary. You're not inclusive. You mean, if I don't believe in Jesus, I can't be saved? Yes, that's true, actually. And the reason I say that is, is because Christianity is not exclusive. On the contrary, it is, it is an open invitation to any who choose to believe in Jesus. Paul says this lots of places, but one in particular. Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, categories in the first century of status in culture. Paul says no. There's no that doesn't make any difference. All are invited. The, the hook is not whether or not who is invited, but who accepts the invitation. Because in fact, Jesus says later on in Matthew's gospel, many are called, but few are chosen. So if it is true that Jesus offers us a place in heaven when he returns, and that he offers to save us when he returns, and that he is going to reestablish Eden and set all things to right, if that's true, here's the big question that I hope has occurred to you. For crying out loud, dude, what's taking you so long? Has it ever occurred to you? Why the delay? Why the dilly-dally? Think about it. If God really is who he is and what he claims he will do, if he really is the savior of the world and he says he's going to come back and set all things to right, then why in the world are we talking about this anymore? Make it happen, right? Say to my staff, did he forget? Is Jesus just on a long vacay and didn't get the memo? Well, this is exactly the question that Peter tackles this morning. And this is an an enormously important text. I don't know why 2 Peter 3 is not more salient on people's minds, but it will be after today. And here's the question we're going to look at. If If we do in fact long for Christ to return as Christians and set the world to rights, then why the delay? Why does he delay? Two points. Firstly, he delays because God is patient. And then secondly, as he delays, he calls us to be holy. (laughs) Why does God delay? Why the holdup? Well, he's patient, point one. And then secondly, he calls us to be holy. So first thing, 
Let's just talk for a second about this idea of Christ's return. Here's an experiment for you today at brunch, ready? Or when you're going for lunch or dinner with your family or whatever. When you're sitting around the table tonight, ask them, so what do you guys think about the Lord's coming, second coming of Christ, huh? <laughs> ask them that and see the kind of reactions you'll get. You'll probably get somebody kind of roll their eyes or, you know, oh boy, here he goes again. This biblical, this fundy, right? Um, well, the thing, the fact of the matter is people then and people now make fun of the idea of Christ's return. But let me just say two quick things. We hear about the end times. This is an important point. The end times doesn't mean that Jesus is going to come today. He might. But the end times actually means, we're living in the end times, means that we are in the last chapter of the book, the last scene of the play of salvation history. That's point number one. And the second thing is this. This is a lot more salient for the person sitting in your seat, which is this. Even if Christ doesn't return for 10,000 years, right? 100,000 years. I have no idea. But no matter when he returns, I can say this, that you will meet him in your lifetime, period. So even though the delay may seem long, I'm, I'll be 55 next month. If I live 50 more years, and I hope I don't, right? That means I got 50 years at the, out, at the very outside, if I get to be 105, which God forbid that. The point I want you to see here is it may seem like a long, abstract idea. The second coming is not that abstract, friends. It affects every single one of us in our own lifetime. But still, people make fun of it. Still, people look at it like, oh, yeah, okay. In fact, I'll give you, I'll, I'll prove it. I stole this off a car at Publix last week. You want to see it? It's a bumper sticker. You ready? You ready? Can you read it? Jesus is coming. Look busy. I didn't actually steal it. Stacy Clausen gave me that a couple years ago. The point is that scoffers then and now are just as doubtful of Jesus' return for two main reasons. So the first, and this is, this is, these are big points. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But why, why is everyone so resistant to the idea of Christ's return? Well, firstly, consider the enormity of the claim, right? The enormity of the claim, the complete mind-blowingness of the picture. A gigantic claim requires gigantic evidence, right? Well, this is an enormous claim because Jesus, the scriptures, the creeds, Christians throughout all history have always held that when Christ returns, the dead shall be resurrected, brought back to life, literally, with real physical bodies that don't age and don't ever die. Anybody who thinks that heaven is floating on a cloud somewhere has got this Victorian idea in their mind. It's not true. Heaven is physical and real and tangible. People that you know that are dead will be resurrected from the dead, and you will touch and see them again. Evil will be judged, and Eden will be restored. Talked about this last week. The world will be, listen, the way it should be. Think about it. It's a practical application for today. There's lots of them. Hamas and terrorists will face judgment. Child sex trafficking will come to an end. And if part of you still thinks, ah, I don't know, I don't, I, I don't, uh, I think part of it actually is that, I think it's really kind of this simple that we get so used to corruption, we get so used to living in a fallen and broken world that we forget that this is a fallen and broken world. We have a government that lies to us. 
We have a media that lies to us. We have a church, sadly, which has lied to us over history. My point is, I think, and maybe it's just me, we become so jaded that as much as the idea of wanting Jesus to come back, and little kids aren't jaded yet, which is why they believe this, as much as we want that, we're just afraid to believe it. We don't want to become a sucker. But here's the real question. And all this idea of Christ's second coming, you can argue this till the cows come home. You can discuss the scriptural references, all that. It's a very, very simple question, and it's this. Here it is. You ready? Does Jesus lie? You know, Jesus was accused of all sorts of things in his earthly life. He was accused of being a heretic. He was accused of being a blasphemer. He was accused of being insane. He was accused of being demon-possessed. But one thing Jesus was never accused of was being a liar. Never. And so if, here's the thing. Here's the hook. If Jesus tells the truth, then logically speaking, whatever he says must be what? True. And when he says that he will return and he will set the world to rights, as much as it might be hard to believe, either it's because of the enormity of the claim or the fact that we're jaded or whatever it might be, if he tells the truth, then that claim is true. But there's another reason, I think, why people roll their eyes at the second coming or kind of dismiss it as fairy tale, and it's the delay. Well, if he's really coming back, then what's taking him so long? Peter addresses this. This is actually the salient point for today. In the first century church that Peter is writing his epistle to, in fact, the church in the first century that Peter is writing to was involved in a culture war kind of like our own. I mean, there's no internet and media and all that sort of thing. No X or Twitter, whatever you want to say. None of that stuff. But the culture that they were in was, was antagonistic to the church then as it is now. And Peter says there are scoffers. And what do they say? I'm going to show you. What, what do these scoffers say? Well, I'm going to tell you what they say. It's right here. They say, verse 4, they will say, the scoffers, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning. Where is this coming? People have been dying for centuries. No Jesus yet. I think you guys bet on the wrong horse. That's what the scoffers would say, then and now. But here's the interesting thing I want to show you. This is super important. And I hope even you as a Christian, you sometimes ask yourself, Lord, would you hurry it up? I mean, Jesus does it from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So if you've ever wondered, Christ, where are you in my life? You're not alone. But Peter tells us why he delays. Here it is. Peter says he, is, he delays because he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. The Lord, listen, the Lord is not slow, as some would count slowness. He's not dilly-dallying. He's not busy with other things. Call me on Tuesday. No. <laughs> Peter says, the Lord is patient. Listen, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance and be saved. This is my point. I want to, first point I want to dial in on, that God is patient he delays. He waits. He waits to return in order to give people a chance to change their ways before it's too late. 
And if that sounds abstract to you, to me that is incredibly practical. I'll give you an example. If Jesus had returned when I was 23, I'd have been toast. I would not have been saved. I, was at, I had just left Penn State. Actually, I was in graduate school at 23, so I was working on a PhD, had a full ride, teaching statistics and scientific research methodology. Yeah, I was cocky. Yeah, I was, I was that guy, right? It's embarrassing now to talk about it. But I could have cared less about Christianity. I thought it was all just made up mumbo jumbo, you know, Freudian uh, wish fulfillment stuff, which was just insane. I was a scoffer. I was a scoffer. I wasn't a terrible person. I mean, I guess it depends who you ask, but I thought I was a pretty good guy. And, uh, and, but that wasn't until like later on when I was like 25 when the Lord put a priest in my life named Father John Wall, awesome guy, and he, he showed me that the thing I was actually striving for was not a thing, but a him. It's a long story. I won't bore you with the details. But, God, but, but just think, the point I want to make for the sake of today's sermon is that, in other words, that, just think about this. God was patient. God was patient with me. How about you? What if Jesus Christ had returned 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 10 years ago, two months ago? I don't, we're all in different places in our journey with the Lord. Would you have been ready to face judgment? And if the answer is no, then Christ delayed for you. You know, you're all like me. We're all, human beings are all the same. We all, we all learn our lessons the hard way, right? The key to life is not to learn, just don't learn all your lessons the hard way. But we all learn our lessons the hard way. We see consequences that happen in our lives, and it makes us rethink our operating assumptions of our worldview. But the thing I want you to see is God delays. He waits, you see, not because he doesn't love us, but because he does. God delays not because he doesn't love us, but because he does. Not wishing that you or me or anyone should choose hell, but rather that our eyes would be opened and that we would call upon Jesus to save us. Let me ask you a question. Does anybody here know someone who's not a Christian? Anybody? I hope you all do. If you don't, you're not doing it right. Somebody, is there someone in your life that you know is not a Christian and you pray for their conversion? Maybe it's a friend or a spouse or a child or could be anything. Could be anybody at all. Golf buddy? Do you know someone who doesn't count Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Well, take heart. I want you to realize that God delays his return for that person. God waits for the sake of the souls that are not yet saved. But what about those who are? What about us sitting in this room right now, presuming we're all Christians, or at least we're, we're on the road, right? We've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, and now we're trying to figure out what that all means, which is what the Christian life is all about. What about those who are Christians? What about those of us who are Christians? What does his delay mean for us? Well, that's my second point. Peter's reminder to be holy. This, this is actually a really cool thing. Peter explains the delay that God is patient because he loves us. He waits, right, to the, uh, the pivot, whenever that is, of diminishing returns, if you want to look at it that way. But he waits. And then he says, Paul says in verse, or sorry, Peter says in verse 14, Therefore, 
Beloved, that word beloved means Christians, okay? Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, since you are waiting for Christ's return, he says, this is the coolest language ever. Be patient, be diligent, live without spot or blemish, and be at peace. What? I mean, look at it again, verse 14. It's super cool. He says, be diligent to be found by him when he returns, and be without spot or blemish, means be holy. We'll get that in a quick second. And be at peace. That is such, that belongs on a bumper sticker. That belongs on, an, on a bumper sticker. He says, be, he says, therefore, since you know this is coming, wait. You know, eagerly wait for Christ's return. And he says, live without spot or blemish. What does that mean? Well, it means to be holy. What does holy mean? Well, holy is actually, it's one of those words that has a lot of baggage to it, but holy just means that you are living like you believe it. Holy means something which is used by God. So a Bible, I don't have one here. Yes, I do. A Bible, a holy Bible is a book used by God. If you are holy, as a person, then you are a person used by God. Well, to do what? Well, to draw other people towards him. He says, so you wait. And, God, and he says, be without spot or blemish. You know, if you're like me, and you are, um, you look around at the world, and you see the stuff going on, and you get angry, right? You get frustrated. You, you see inaction. You see people that lie and are deceptive, and take advantage of people that don't know any better. They're manipulative. Man, that just drives me crazy. God says, be patient and be holy. That's the answer. In other words, live in a manner which draws other people to what you have. Be the man or woman that God can use to draw other people towards him. Even as you wait, your job and mine as Christians, as we wait, is to pray and to be a witness to the fact that God changes lives for good. What does that mean? Well, it means call out injustice. Speak up for those who cannot speak. Do the right thing. Reason with those with whom you disagree. Do it with respect and gently. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. When they curse, you bless. You see my point. Do what you can do to be holy. Say what you can say to be holy and leave it to the Lord. James says, for the anger of man, right? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So don't. <laughs> be holy. Be kind. Live differently to draw other people towards Christ. But then he says something here which I think is really cool, and I'll wrap up with this. He says, live holy without spot or blemish. But then he says, I want, he says and be at peace. Now that, does, that, one, that word there for me, I read that last two weeks ago, and I thought, what in the world is Peter talking about? Be at peace. We're talking about the end of the world and being patient and suffering. Be at peace? Are you kidding me? What does that even mean? Well, this is a cool thing. That Greek word there for peace is a Greek word, irene. We have no analog for this in English, right? Most of us hear the word peace, and we hear, uh, we hear an absence of conflict, like the, uh, like the um, ceasefire in Hamas, right? That's peace, temporarily. But this text, Irene, does not mean, listen, it does not mean an absence of conflict. It means assurance and confidence, listen, in the midst of conflict. 
In other words, he's saying, be holy and live with assurance and confidence in the midst of the struggle. Here's a thought. The next time you find yourself struggling, wrestling with why me, God, why, why me, God, in the midst of all this injustice? Why is this happening to me? Remember that God delays to save someone else from hell. Remember that God delays to save someone else from hell. And for your own sake, think of it like this. That you suffer, for your, when you suffer and struggle, you do it with patience and peace because you know that God is drawing somebody towards him. Friends, patience is not easy. Patience is a virtue, which means you have to learn it. It's not innate. Certainly not for me. But if you know that suffering is only temporary, and you know that it's part of God's plan, we suffer in this world because God is working out his purpose and delaying to draw someone towards him from hell to salvation. I don't know about you, but for me, that helps me. It helps me suffer with peace, even in the midst of injustice that God delays to save someone else, maybe even someone that I love, maybe even someone close to me. That I know that Christ delays, listen, not because he doesn't love us, but because he does. You know, there's an old saying, and if you know where it came from, let me know because I couldn't find it, that justice delayed is not justice denied. That is true. We know that Christ will return and he will set the world to rights. If he tells the truth, and he does, then we know he will return and set the world to rights. He's going to, as we talked about last week, he's going to blow it up and put it all back together in the way it's supposed to be. In the meantime, as we wait, let us pray for those who have not yet called to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In the meantime, let us be patient, holy, and full of grace, assurance, and confidence, not in the absence of struggle, but in the midst of it. And let us remember something pastorally incredibly important. That even as we struggle, even as the world continues on its downward spiral, let us remember that God's plan advances. It's unstoppable. That Jesus is coming back, friends. So, look busy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.